happiest of happy Mondays to everyone out there. It is a beautiful day, and I am thoroughly enjoying it. Although I'm having trouble in general thinking of the best intro. I like alliteration, so I usually use the same letters a lot, but I haven't found something that like fits me appropriately, and I think about it too much because it's just it's five to ten seconds in the beginning. But at the same time, it can be like your catchphrase, and you know, it can be basically a defining moment of what people are expecting when they come into your podcast. So like when you greet someone at your house and they have a really nice door, you're like, oh, this guy, this guy knows what he likes. And I know what I'm going to get. You know, if you have like a neon pink and teal blue door, this guy's going to be fun. That's what I want. That's what I want you to feel like when I greet you. I want you to look at me and see a teal and neon pink door that you're entering into. And then I'd hug you at the door. I'd bear hug you. Only if you're okay with that right now, because obviously people don't want to be hugged right now. So uh, eventually I'll hug you or I'll air hug you. I'll, I'll hug you from like 10 feet away. You know, mental hug. And so I slept great last night. Unbelievably, I got to bed at 3 a.m., which is crazy. That's like going to bed at 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. for a normal person. And I think it's because I finally finished uh, The Wire season four. I was on a wire kick and I've ripped through seasons two through four in the last couple of weeks. And season four always brings me down. It's super depressing. It's about school kids, like middle school age kids who are in Baltimore and like the worst parts of Baltimore and how kind of the drug trade and how illegal activity influences their lives. And basically it follows these four kids in a kind of crew, you know, they're just friends and they're just, basically starting to grow up and it shows how their lives get ruined in different ways. Like one becomes a drug addict, one, uh, his parents give him away. One person gets ratted out as a snitch and just gets beat to hell by everyone in the community. And the other one becomes part of the, part of a crew, part of a mob and starts murdering people. And it's like, you like these kids and they're, you know, nice and bright and you have hope for them. Cause usually when you see kids in shows, you're like, okay, you know, they're going to grow. They got a lot to learn. If we're going to follow them and they're charming and nice, usually they're not going to turn into, you know, evil incarnate or sad sob stories that you could see on, you know, real sports to Brian Gumble that are going to make you cry. Uh, but that's what this is. And I mean, the wire pulls no punches and that's why it's an excellent show, but sometimes it just puts you in a funky place. And, you know, I watched before bed and when you're watching, life slowly deteriorate from these people you're rooting for, even though you know it's coming, it's still, it makes it worse if you know that it's coming because you're just like, oh man, maybe this time he'll get out. <laughs> like somehow the show's going to magically rewrite itself. And, you know, there's little genie inside the TV that uh, is going to, is going to fix things for you. But that's not how the world works. Although it should, maybe one day the technology will get so good that you can rewrite scripts. You can just, say, hey, Siri, make this show 15% happier or make them not die this time and they can digitally recreate a new show. There's an idea. That's like a choose your adventure book, but with a lot more technology. And I mean, the way they're doing like CGI and all that kind of stuff or de-aging Robert De Niro, although I don't think they did a good job de-aging and The Irishman. They all still looked old. De Niro looked 64 the whole time. And Pesci's face was like 
a melting wax sculpture and his hands looked like, oh my God, his hands looked like used catcher's mitts from like 50 years ago. Uh, so I don't think, and they paid like a hundred million dollars for that. So maybe the technology isn't there yet, but when I'm old, I hope for it. When I'm like 75, I can rewatch the wire season four without it messing with my sleep patterns. So today, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed. And I think part of it too was because I was so, uh, lacking a topic yesterday and I felt kind of just deflated by that. I think that forced me to think about topics for today. And I started listing out a bunch of ideas and I got some really good ones. And I, I'm doing this master class by Steve Harvey. I mean, that's Steve Harvey, uh, by Steve Martin, very different comedic stylings. Uh, and he's kind of just, he's being like a cheerleader in the, uh, in the podcast and just inspiring me to, just put myself out there. He's like, you can do it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can do it. And that's Steve Martin's voice. And his, I mean, he's just a, he's a guy you want to root for. And you know, you want, he's like a dad you never had that you want to make proud. He's got that white hair and kind eyes, nice smile. And he just, he, he does humor that really doesn't offend or hurt anybody. He's in that Seinfeld vein, which is, I think probably the hardest kind of comedy to do because you know, anyone can say a swear and I'll just kind of giggle or, you know, bathroom humor, all that kind of stuff. That stuff, it's pretty easy. But when you're, or I mean, like you go stereotypical or, and, and that stuff is resonates pretty easily, but it's cheap. So I find the Steve Martin, Jerry Seinfeld to be kind of the high class, you know, $1,500 a glass uh, wine collection of comedy. So if he says I can do it, I can do it. So thanks, Steve Martin. I appreciate you. So what is this excellent topic? Well, I watch a gross amount of TV. I think I always have. I remember when I was like five years old, and I would sit in the downward dog position with my butt in the air and just stare at Mork and Mindy or Nick at Night and just kind of consume TV at a absurd level. You know, I can do eight to 10 hours a day standing on my head. Some shows that I love more than others. I can listen to them via my Bluetooth headset and don't even need to see the show. I just need to hear it. And it's like, it's just a warm blanket of reassurance about something that I enjoy and just makes me happy. And so I picked one of the shows that I love nearest and dearest. And that would be the, I mean, not the office. I was going to say the office, but uh, well, that is one of them. That's one of my top three. But uh, I was going to say Parks and Rec. And I was like, what makes Parks and Rec so great? And my one, my initial knee-jerk reaction was a certain character. And that certain character kind of was, I, I found him to be the best non-centralized character in television history. And when I was racking my brain and trying to think of someone better, I couldn't. So today I'm going to talk about Ronald Ulysses Swanson. First of all, Ulysses as a middle name, I mean, my God, that I just grew some extra chest hair and I need a whiskey right now. So if you haven't seen the show, it's taking place in Pawnee, Indiana, a made up kind of middle America town where everyone's a little overweight. Well, a lot overweight. They're actually, I think, the fourth fattest town in North America in the show. And they make fun of it a bunch. And they have a fast food place like Punch Burgers. Punch Burger, where the tagline is start drooling fatties. 
and you know it's kind of a they're they're taking reality and kind of hyperizing it and kind of making it more hilarious the guy who created it michael Scherer, also wrote on the office he also did the good place and he's also fun fact he's mo on the office uh dwight's you know uh amish cousin with the beard so pretty funny guy and i think he's from ann arbor too which is my town now so yay for him for being from an awesome place and maybe we have some more common ground i like to think so because you want to have hot common ground with your heroes but uh so back to ron and back to the show so it takes place in the parks and recreation department obviously in Pawnee, indiana and it's the the idea of the show basically is these kind wonderful people who run that department, but are really, really mean to each other. That's kind of how Michael Schur kind of described it, that it's all these people with very stark, very different personalities. Like Leslie, the main character of the show, is this do-gooder, kind of like top of her class, uh, wants to help everyone, and is the ultimate positive uh, force. I mean, she's just a force in the show, but in like a, in a good way. And that's pretty rare, actually, in most shows. Most shows go with jerks or with uh, curmudgeons or with tortured artists as the uh, or tortured geniuses as the central character. But nope, this one is just all she loves waffles. She loves whipped cream. She's a crush on Joe Biden for some reason. She's like a nerd, a political nerd who wants nothing more than the honor of serving the public and helping her town. Getting choked up just thinking about it. Good stuff. And she kind of just resonates in this positive way. I said positive a lot there. What else can you say about a positive? Hmm. I need to look up my thesaurus. I need to work on my word game. Because there's definitely other words for positive. But that's all that's coming to my brain right now. But anyways, the other characters in the show kind of work with her. And she's the deputy of the Parks and Rec Department. And her supervisor is Ron Swanson. who is just the manliest man you've ever seen on screen ever. And usually you that would be saved for a drama, you know what I mean, like for something more intense. You'd have kind of a hard-smoking, hard-drinking cop who doesn't play by the rules, you know, a David Caruso, a character from The Shield, a, you know, lethal weapon kind of vibe kind of guy, you know, who has a six-shooter and shoots first and asks questions later. and is has a bad divorce but loves his kids and wears leather jackets and smokes Marlboro Reds. But somehow on this show, uh, the director of a small town Parks and Rec department is the red-blooded, most American person on the face of the earth. And I mean, and he's funny too. I think it's because he bounces off everyone else. He's just this man of few words. He's just... He's got this physicality to him. He has the best mustache I think I've ever seen. I mean, that thing has its own zip code. It's just, it's in the Sam Elliott kind of uh, realm of perfection. It's got that caterpillar, but it's curving on the sides and it goes with the expressions of his lips. And when he's scowling, it's almost like the mustache is scowling with him. It's like, it just makes, it makes his face the definition of what like a 1920s boxer would be just very, very old school masculinity. And he's got this perfect thick mop of hair in this kind of side part, but gelled up 
and you know it looks like a 1950s 60s haircut and they 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 discussed later that he gets his haircut every three weeks for eight dollars by uh this barber named sal and it makes it just fit to his character and i think that's what i enjoy most about deep diving into television characters you get to you get to know them you get to know little uh intricacies about them and you grow with them and they're in your house you know what i mean it's not like i went out and saw a movie it's like no once a week uh ron swanson got to hang with me in my house as i watched him and laughed and then got to get get involved in his life so what else makes and he's probably like six foot tall maybe 210 pounds like a little overweight he's got kind of the dad vibe like a little bit of uh extra mustard around the hot dog in the uh, midsection and but he's got like muscular shoulders he's got some nice arms but not not in a I work out kind of way but in a I my physical activity is woodworking and lovemaking kind of way and he looks like he just eats he's a carnivore I mean there looks like there's no carrots in his diet you know what I mean he looks like he injects himself with meat and animal blood which I mean we find later he kind of does so his hobbies include, I mean, he's a master woodworker. He can make a canoe in like a night. One night when uh, when uh, Leslie Nope tells him he shouldn't drive home because he'd been drinking too much, he goes home and he uses a bandsaw and makes a giant harp uh, for five hours to just inspire her, to show her like, hey, you know, I wasn't too drunk. I, could, I made this beautiful item to so screw you. And he's just ultra competitive and you know if you tell him that he's wrong he doesn't ever change his opinion really he's a stone wall he looks i mean he feels kind of like a civil war general which i'm probably subconsciously getting from the ulysses in his name and that i just watched that uh history channel documentary on ulysses s grant and that was just eye-opening about how how someone came from nothing and just ended up being the president. And he has that kind of similar beard and gruff to him and, you know, hardworking doggedness and bulldog nature that Ron has. So maybe I'm sure they did that purposely. I can't imagine that they did it otherwise, but maybe next time Michael shares in Ann Arbor, I'll ask him because that's my neighbor. If I, I wonder if he has a house here or if his parents live here, I'll start, I'll track him down. I'll do a little web investigation and become stalkery, but in like a fan way. Although, no. Nah, I mean, I'd be pretty creepy. I mean, I'm a six foot five guy with colorful tattoos all over my arms and legs. If I go to his house, there's probably going to be, I'll probably get the cops called on me. So let's not do that. So his hobbies, I mean, he's master woodworker, like I said. He can do anything with metal. He can, I mean, he can create anything basically in his home craft shop. And it's just like for one of the cults in town, called the reasonableists uh they use flutes for one of their rituals so he sells flutes for 110 dollars a pop that he makes uh in his in his woodworking shop or once they needed rings for an impromptu wedding and he used a lamp sconce and melted down the rings in a waffle iron and he's just like people who buy things are stupid <laughs> so i mean that's the kind of kind of intensity and kind of do-it-yourselfness that he's got going and you just you love the guy because he's he's kind of that reserved western hero that clint eastwood gruff exterior you want him to like you you know because he doesn't give you much 
And I think all the other characters on the show kind of do that too. So, I mean, they, they want Ron to like, like them and Ron could care less. I mean, Ron, Ron just wants to be left alone in the woods. And that's, I mean, that's ideally, I don't think you ever see his house, which is pretty funny. Everyone else, you kind of get, you see their houses, you get a view of, you know, who they are. But uh, with Ron, you know, he's just ultra private and just doesn't want anyone to know where he is or, I mean, how much money he has. It's kind of crazy. He mentioned a few times that he got all his money into gold. And first of all, I love that. Just don't trust the government. And it's kind of, he's a libertarian. He thinks that taxation of any kind is ridiculous and unfounded. And he's not, he's not uh, opposed to getting on a soapbox and telling you how he feels about that stuff. And so he has this crazy amount of wealth. Like when he has to make his will, he writes down a ballpark number of how much money he has. And the lawyer almost falls over in his chair. And so, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty funny that he's closeted wealth, even though he drives a 93 Buick, you know, and he like, he's, he buys, I think a hundred dollars worth of, no, $40 worth of clothes a year. (laughs) And he just, just those things aren't important to him. And you respect that, you know, he's not, he's not thirsty. He doesn't want any of that drip as the kids say. I still don't, I still don't know what that means. That means your clothes are soaking, like you dipped them in water or they dipped in gold or I mean, it's a fun word to say, drip, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it means. I'll have to go to Urban Dictionary so I can relate to the youngins in in my work, which because I work, I work with 21, 22, 23 year old college kids, not anything younger than that. <laughs> I'm not a kindergarten teacher or anything like that. Well, I think I'd be a good kindergarten teacher because I have the same emotional level and comedic values as a kindergartner. We could all play with building blocks together and Legos. Kindergarten was awesome. But you know who doesn't act like he's in kindergarten is Ron, because he's a serious man. And it's hard to imagine him as a kid, actually, because they even joke about it. They show him taking pictures of his favorite steakhouse over the years. And I think it's over like a 25-year period. And the joke is they show the Polaroids, and it's him, you know, in 1985, 1995. But he looks exactly the same, same mustache, same hair. And he just smiles and goes, oh, just a kid. And it's like, it's clearly the picture was taken yesterday. But he's one of those guys that was, you can picture when he came, when he was born, three days later, he looked like how he was going to look the rest of his life. I mean, he just probably hit puberty when he was like eight. He had his first job in the show when he was 10 at the sawmill. <laughs> and just a, he's a dedicated worker when he wants to be, but he's lazy as heck when he doesn't have the motivation or uh, he's working in the government, which he despises. So he tries to slow everything down. He's trying to kill the government, the bloated government beast within, like within the system. Like he wants to slow everything down, don't do any programs, have people fend for themselves. And that's a funny clash with Leslie because Leslie wants every program and projects and she wants, you know, movie nights and nights, uh, plays in the park and all that kind of stuff. So they clash on a fundamental level uh, all the time. And just watching them respectfully duel it out to see whose views are right. It's always just when they do that in an episode, those are my favorite. And I mean, once in a while though, he does have like these sporadic moments of kindness and like the kind of grumpiness kind of melts off and he gives very matter of fact, very to the point advice. And the core of his advice is always, you know, be yourself, be true to yourself. Don't apologize for who you are. Don't care what other people think. And just, you know, great advice to give hard to live by, but in the show, he lives by it. And it's just, I don't think he ever 
compromises uh, his core belief system for anybody. And I, I think he's actually almost too stubborn that he <laughs> he rarely compromises even when he knows he's wrong. Like once uh, he he was sick and they took test results from him and he had good test results for the most part, but he was low in potassium. And they were like, for your wife and your kids sake, you need to eat a banana once in a while. And there's this, this scene where he's trying to eat a banana and he just can't do it. You know, he puts one foot on the desk like Captain Morgan to try to distract him. Can't do it. Spits it out. Tries three or four times more. Finally, he takes a paunch burger with like double bacon and double cheese and just this monstrosity of a burger and jams it in there, you know, on the top, kind of smushes it all together so it's compressed. And then takes a bite and kind of acknowledges, like, does that nod where it's like, okay, it's going down. I can do this. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he is. And so just when he's, when he, when he kind of tries to see other people's point of view, like slightly, you feel like, oh, wow, he can, he can change a little bit. And once in a while he laughs too. And it's so rare. It's probably once every two, three episodes. And he has this giggle laugh, like that high pitched giggle that comes out of nowhere. And it's disarming and it's just, you can't help but smile with him. And I love that they sprinkle that, they pepper that in there, that he's, you know, yeah, everyone can be gruff and everyone can be mean, but deep down, everyone wants to laugh too once in a while. And I mean, let's go back to how manly he is. I mean, when he talks about how he loves hunting and just adores, you know, just the kill, fishing is for is for uh, just relaxing. It's not for the meat. He's like, fish meat is basically vegetables. And he says fishing is yoga, like yoga for him. It relaxes him. And he just drinks a crazy amount of alcohol. He only drinks Lagavulin 16-year-old scotch. And I don't know if any of you have had it, but man, it is like, it's like liquid jerky, like really good jerky. It is smoky. It is intense. It is... I mean, you grow some chest hair, your beard grows a little bit, your voice drops a couple octaves, and it is, I mean, it is intense. It is like the people that smoke Marlboro Reds. It's like, whoa, you are, you are on another level, buddy. And the crazy thing is, he drinks so much, and he never gets drunk, really. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one episode, one time where he gets a little bit drunk, but he never gets hung over, even when everyone else does. And his... uh his cure for his, his uh, cure all for not being hungover is he cooks a f- full flank steak in uh, melted butter or salted butter and then uh, puts wet socks on and goes to bed. And it always works for him. It's like, oh my God, that is, that is, that is manly and that is, you know, unique and just God bless him. And he's also the most voracious eater I think I've ever seen on a TV show. He like wins competitions for eating the most eggs at a diner, even when he wasn't particularly, he wasn't trying to win anything. He just eats a lot. He does like a turf and turf steak. He does a 16 ounce T-bone and a 24 ounce porterhouse uh, with a whiskey, with whiskey and a cigar. And he consumes it all at the same time. And he's like, I'm a free American. This is, this is what I should do. And you just picture him. He could like look at a cow and the cow would kind of shake and, rip out a rib and just give it to him be like here eat me he's just he's just he's as american as he's a teddy roosevelt meets sylvester stallone meets joe rogan i want to say maybe i don't really listen to joe rogan but i know he's he's into deer hunting and stuff like that and also just manliness 
And he, I mean, he eats crazy things. He eats a turkey leg wrapped in bacon and just, I mean, they just keep going with the kind of stuff that he eats. I mean, he once ate, they're at a diner and he orders a party platter of meats rather than, rather than ordering a normal dish. And he takes the party platter and he looks at it and he sees that there's one tomato and a little piece of lettuce. And he takes the tomato and lettuce and gives it to the guy. He's like, I won't be needing that. And Leslie goes, it only takes him four minutes to eat. You should really stick around and watch it. It's quite a sight. <laughs> you, you believe it. I mean, it's, it's bizarre, but that's who he is. And he loves strong women, uh, which respect to him. He's not, you know, he's not looking for someone to cook and clean or anything like that. He likes, he likes someone who can be his equal. And he goes to an inordinate amount of WNBA games, which is just a, such a good reference because not even real diehard basketball fans go to WNBA games. I think the only re- it kind of brings to light. Of course, you would go to a WNBA game if you were attracted to strong women because. The basketball is not that great, but it's fun to watch, you know, these dedicated athletes just go at it. And he has two ex-wives, both named Tammy. One uh, is this cold-hearted witch of a woman from his hometown who was like 15 years older than him and would kind of boss him around. And then his second wife, who is his wife in real life, Nick Offerman, the, the actor, it's his wife who plays her. So they have great chemistry and she's just, a wild sex crazed kind of bipolar maniac who turns him into a just, you know, uh, a sex crazed bull who gets dreadlocks and wears uh, Japanese kimono dresses and I mean, uh, robes and just is it, it, both of them kind of shake him to his core. So it's good to know that, you know, everyone, even this, this rock solid person who has great fundamentals and foundational beliefs and believes in himself and is confident and complex that even he can be shaken by a relationship. So it's like, okay, no one's perfect. And ironically, his mom's name is Tammy. So uh, that's always, that's a fun kind of piece that he's got some issues from his uh, childhood. So no one's perfect kids, not even Ron Swanson. Although Ron's, Ron's close. <laughs> Ron's close as you can be. And his just general love of uh, his private life. Like you only find out in season seven that he has two brothers, Don and John, and they both have beards. They both kind of look like him and they're both, uh, you know, men of few words. And it's like, he doesn't reveal that to anybody. And he, even when uh, you see them, someone asks if those are his brothers. He's like, no, <laughs> he doesn't want anyone to know anything about him because he's scared about himself and he doesn't care. He wants to be left alone. And he doesn't even, I mean, there's one episode where there's uh, mail being sent to his house that he didn't want. It's like, how do they find my address? How do they know me? And he just tries to get off the grid completely and wants to live under, under a mountain or under a bridge in a, you know, an RV and pay for things in gold. And, but he realizes, you know, with his, he finally gets a third wife who's, actually good for him. She's a middle school principal named Diane with two kids and she's strong, independent. She actually even asks him out and actually you find that out in general that women desire Ron, that he doesn't really go after women. They just kind of want him. And he, you know, like he said, he likes a strong woman who takes assertiveness and (laughs) a funny, funny little uh, side plot. uh, Whenever Ron has sex on the show, the next day he wears 
uh, Tiger Woods classic Sunday victory uh, red shirt and black pants. So he, I don't know. They never established if he does it because of Tiger Woods or if it's just a like these two alpha guys just when they see victory or when they feel great they're just going to wear red it's just a nice little nice little uh little add-on little cherry on top of that ron swanson sunday and i mean once in a while like leslie tries to like find out his birthday and she i mean he's just so apprehensive about anyone knowing anything about him and once she gave him a wedding gift that she took him all the way to Ireland and uh, showed him like these great cliffs and, you know, showed him like beautiful American poetry uh, that went with it. And, you know, he got kind of teary eyed and choked up or so like once in a while, the rough exterior comes down and you're like, Oh man, this guy has emotion sessions. Unbelievable. And I just love that he hates all pop culture and is just so out of the loop about everything that is, uh, that is in like people magazine or TMZ. Like he doesn't know anything. I think someone said something about Julia Roberts and he's like, is that the toothy girl from mystic pizza? (laughs) And it's like the ultimate, we all have that friend who's just kind of removed from uh, pop culture and social media. And it's, that's a classic response. And I just love that. And I'll leave you with my favorite Ron Swanson quote. I think he started writing letters (laughs) on a typewriter, like an old school typewriter and he just started writing what I what he think, what he thought, what he think. That's not a word. Man, brain brain's freezing up a little bit. But uh, two, I'm going to do two of my favorite quotes because he is great stuff. So he was writing, he goes, Dear frozen yogurt, you are the celery of desserts. Be ice cream or be nothing. Ron Swanson. Or once uh, he goes, I've cried twice in my life. Once when I was seven and hit by a school bus. And then again, when I heard little Sebastian had passed away. And that's a, a little tiny horse that the town loves. So, it's, you know, his gruff exterior comes down once in a while. And that's just so nice. And, oh, I, and finally, this is my favorite one. Uh, any dog under 50 pounds is a cat. and Cats are useless. And I've kind of uh, taken to that uh, lifestyle and philosophy. I've had a Bernice Mountain Dog and two Newfoundlands. And they're all around the century mark, 100-pound guys. And I do believe 50, uh, any dog under 50 pounds is a cat. Cats are useless. Like I've said before, I hate cats. They're just small killing machines that are jerks. And I like a big, powerful dog that thinks they're small. You know what I mean? They just, they lie on you and they're just goofy and they're sloppy. (laughs) And just something about that warms my heart. And I'll leave you with that. So those are my thoughts on Ronald Ulysses Swanson the greatest side character of all time. I didn't think too much about it. I mean, I think Kramer is in, is in the running from Seinfeld and maybe Dwight Schrute uh, from The Office. And you know what? I'll talk about them too eventually. We'll, we'll do character breakdowns of everybody about why they're awesome because TV shows give you so much detail and so much time with them that you know these people. They're your family, basically. So Ron Swanson is my surrogate uncle in a way. I mean, maybe not, but I'm going to tell people, I'm going to tell people from now on that he's my uncle and just see what people say. So maybe they'll respect it or maybe I'll grow a better mustache. Just my, my hair follicles will respond to knowing that I believe that I'm a Swanson. All right. I'm going to keep this like Ron does short and sweet. Just go the end. <laughs>